Well, our text for today is from our first reading, 1 Samuel chapter 17. That's found on page 239 of our church Bibles, if you want to open that up. Page 239. And this is the story of David and Goliath, which is no doubt absolutely by far the most well-known, the most famous, the most celebrated story in all of the life of King David. And it is this story of David and this giant of a man, Goliath, in this story where God is showing us and answering for us one of the deepest and most fundamental problems, questions that we have as human beings. And that is the question of how can we overcome our fears? How can we overcome the giants of our life? How can we become more courageous as people. And I think the traditional or a very common or typical way of understanding this story of David and Goliath, the very traditional reading of this, trying to understand how we can overcome the fear of our life, is to see Goliath as representative of our fears and our problems. And look how big our fears are. Look how big and bad they are. Look how overwhelming our problems can be. And then in David, the traditional way, or a very common way of understanding this, that David then becomes us. And David here in this text serves as an inspiring example to us of how we too can rush headlong and face our giants and face our fears and cast them aside and be courageous and have this amazing faith. I think that if that's the way we read it and if this is how we only read it and David for us here is an inspiring example and only an example to us, at best I think that's a fairly surface, maybe even superficial reading of the text. At worst, if we see David as merely an example to us of what we have to do, that can be crushing to us spiritually and that can actually do damage to our faith. And we also miss out on the deeper, more beautiful, and indeed even more powerful truth, revelation that God has here for us. That God here has shown us something so much more powerful in our lives, oh, truly a way to become more courageous, to overcome fear in our life. It's here in a much deeper way. So let's dig in perhaps a little bit deeper into this astonishing passage from God's Word. I want to begin by setting the 
seen for you a little bit. Hope you can see this in your imagination. You have Saul, who's the king, leading the army of God's people, the Israelites. And then on the other hand, you have the Philistines. They are the dreaded and greatly feared enemies of God's people. The Philistines were a seafaring people. They had settled along the coastal area, but they are pushing and encroaching more and more westward. And the location where this potential battle is to take place is about 10 miles outside of Bethlehem, about 15 miles away from Jerusalem. They are getting very close to the towns and the villages and the neighborhoods of God's people, and God's people are very afraid. But this is how it's described in verse 3 of chapter 17. It says that the Philistines stood on the mountain on one side, and Israel stood on the mountain on the other side with a valley between them. Now these mountains, you see these great armies. One is on one mountain, one is on the other mountain, valley in between. Don't think 14ers and Rocky Mountains. Picture more like the foothills. So you've got the army of the Israelites on one foothill, on one mountain, the Philistines on the other, and there's a valley in between, this valley where this battle is to take place. And is it any wonder that years later, David would come to sit down and write that well-known psalm where he says, Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death. But then something strange happens. I think strange to us in the 21st century, not strange in this time. One man from the Philistines comes forward, just one. And listen to how he is described here in verse 4 and following. So they came out from the camp of the Philistines a champion named Goliath of Gath whose height was six cubits in a span, uh, maybe a little bit over eight feet. Massively tall man. He held a helmet of bronze on his head. This bronze, this is latest warfare technology, the advancement of bronze. And it says that he was armed with a coat of mail and the weight of the coat of mail was 5,000 shekels of bronze. That's about 125 pounds, just the weight of that bronze mail that he was wearing. And he had a bronze armor on his legs and a javelin of bronze slung between his shoulders and the shaft of his spear was like a weaver's bean and his spear's head, just the head of the spear, weighed 600 shekels of iron. That's 20 pounds, just the head of the spear. But as interesting as that description of Goliath is, the key descriptor of who he was and what he was all about here is in that very first sentence. He is described as, quote, a champion. A champion for his people. Now the word champion in the Hebrew is the word benayim, benayim. And benayim in the Hebrew literally means the man 
between. The man who goes into that area between the two armies. It means Goliath is going forward to fight, not simply for the Philistines, but he is fighting as them, as their representative. He is going to fight so that they do not have to. He's the man between, the Benayim, the champion. And he describes that. He comes out before them. And at the very end of verse 8, if you're following along, he says, Choose a man for yourselves and let him come down to me. If he is able to fight with me and kill me, then we will be your servants. But if I prevail against him and kill him, then you shall be our servants and serve us. It's a rather efficient way to do some warfare. One guy dies instead of an old army getting slaughtered. The Benayim, the champion, the man who goes between fighting not just for but as the representative of all the people. And it says in verse 11 that when Saul and all of Israel heard these words of the Philistine of Goliath, they were dismayed and greatly afraid. So Saul, the army of the Israelites, but it says all of Israel, when they hear this report, and it's for, I think, a period of about 40 days that Goliath continues to come out and say this. As the news spreads, all of the Israelites are terrified. Why? Because the Philistines are about 10, 15 miles away. And if they are victorious, it means they become their slaves. They lose their homes, they lose their land, they lose their freedom, their sons will be taken away, their daughters will be taken away. And they are dismayed and greatly afraid. And as I said the traditional reading of this is that then Goliath here is representative of the obstacles and is a representation of fear itself and of our fears. And that's a fine reading. There are other theologians who look at Goliath and they see in him also something else, that Goliath is also representative, symbolic, shows us another way, a worldly way of trying to overcome fear, of trying to be courageous. That there is a Goliath type of courage that we can strive for in the ancient world to be sure, but I will tell you, the more I think about it, more and more in our modern secular world, we're all striving and we're told to try and have this Goliath type of courage to overcome our fear. How does Goliath do it? Well, he says here in verse 10, he stands there before the entire army of the Israelites day after day, and he says, I defy the ranks of Israel this day. I defy you all. Very courageous. And what is Goliath doing and saying there? He is saying, I am big and you are small. I am everything and you are nothing. It's what we call positive self-talk. 
It is a daily affirmation. I have no doubt that Goliath, before he, he would look in the mirror and say, Goliath, you are awesome. You are Goliath of Gath. Come on, man. He's pumping himself up. He's pumping himself up. Yeah, look at you, man. You are awesome. You are a rock star. You got this. And he stands up, I defy you all. And when it comes to David, of course, I mean, poor little David, verse 42, if you follow along, flip the page, verse 42, it says that when Goliath looked and saw David, he disdained him. In verse 43, he said to David, am I a dog that you come to me with sticks? And he cursed David by his gods. And then Goliath says to David, Come to me, and I will give your flesh to the birds of the air and to the beasts of the field. What is Goliath doing there? He's visualizing success. That's what we're supposed to do, right? We're supposed to think about the outcome that we want and to visualize ourselves being successful and doing this thing, and we can become more encouraged and we can overcome fear and become more confident and more courageous, and we do that positive self-talk and we, and we put down our fears and we embiggen ourselves and we say, you got this, go for it, and that's fine. In short bursts for little things, you know, my family and I, my wife and my daughter, we watch a show called The Kids Baking Championship. And if you're really into watching children cry, it is a great show. Every episode, invariably, some poor kid messes up, the cake is on fire, they burst into tears. And every episode, all of their fellow children do, encouraging them what they've been taught they say every episode they say you got this you got this cakes on fire you've got this <laughs> and on that level absolutely a little bit of self you know you got this you can do this it's okay you're okay that's fine truly Goliath type courage we all do it and we're taught to do it. But is that all? Is that all that we have? My mom, she had skin cancer, terrible, on her head, down to the bone, still scarred from it. She got colon cancer, and then she got breast cancer. That was in, all in two years. And after her surgery for her breast cancer, she had six months every week infusion from chemotherapy, and some of you know exactly what that's about. And a very loving, I mean a very nice person did a very nice thing for her. He gave her a bag, a, a chemo bag, take with her to chemotherapy, put some puzzle books in there and a pillow and a blanket and with little comforts that she needs. And on this bag, there were words of encouragement for her to remember, to get her through, to give her the courage, to give her the confidence, to, to overcome the fear. And it said things like, printed on the back, you are a cancer warrior. And it said things like, cancer picked the wrong woman to mess with. And it said, you are strong. And it said, you've got this, exclamation point. 
That's fine. I understand that. Good things to remember. But is that all that we have? Just trying to pump ourselves up? In the United States alone, over 600,000 people die of cancer every year. That is a reality of a fallen, broken, sad world and hurting world in which we live. What do we say to those families? What do we say to those people? What, they weren't good enough warriors? I thought you had it, but apparently you didn't. Goliath-type courage, ancient world, it's in, the, it's in the world today, and it's not, we know this, it's not enough. Then as I said, David, we ask ourselves, who are we in this story? We put ourselves in the place of David, and David here, again, traditionally, is this great, inspiring example of faith and of courage and of overcoming fear, and he is. I mean, listen to what it says in verse 45. It says, Then David said to the Philistine, You come to me with a sword and with a spear and with a javelin, but I come to you in the name of the Lord of hosts. I love that. The God of the armies of Israel, whom you have defied, this day the Lord will deliver you into my hand. And he, it, what a great... Uh, example to us of faith and of courage and of trusting in the Lord what's the danger here is if he is only an example and merely an example that we have to then what emulate and what can happen is is we can start to look to ourselves and our own ability to have faith and to have a strong faith and we can even be told if your faith is strong enough and if you believe enough and if you trust enough and if you're a good Christian God is going to bless you and he can do all these things for you believe believe and it's on you And Jesus says, look, the faith the size of a mustard seed can move mountains. The point there is not to point us to how strong our faith is, but rather to point us to the object of our faith that is himself, Jesus Christ. That's the point. What's the problem here? Look, I have a friend. When I was at seminary in St. Louis, his name was Daryl. And Daryl, I think I've spoken to you about him before, Daryl was in an accident when he was a young man, a teenager, and he was paralyzed from the waist down in a wheelchair. And Daryl got involved in a church, not a Lutheran church. He got involved in the church shortly after this happened, and they told him, if you have enough faith, you will be healed, and you will stand up out of that wheelchair. And can God do things like that? Absolutely, God can. But what Daryl was told was that it was on him and it's his faith. So they brought him to the church. They brought him just like this. They all laid hands on him and they prayed over him and they named it and they claimed it in the name of Jesus Christ. Stand up and walk. And he did not stand up and walk. He's broken back, paralyzed. And he was told it wasn't God's fault. He didn't believe 
enough. And praise the Lord, shortly after that, he found a good Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod congregation. (laughs) And he went on to train for the pastoral ministry. We see the danger. What can that, you know what that is? That's really almost like a Christian or a spiritual religious version of Goliath faith, but it's using religious language. It's still on you, and it's still up to you. You can do it. You can have that faith. It's very similar, isn't it? So again, the question is, who are you? Who are we in this story? Are you Goliath? No. Are you David in this story? I submit to you that you, that we are not David. Who are we? Who are you in this story as we read this? Again, verse 11. Verse 11. When Saul and all of Israel heard the words of Goliath, they were dismayed and greatly afraid. That's who we are. We're the people on the side. We're those soldiers quaking in our sandals. And we are the people living in all those homes 10 miles from Bethlehem, 15 miles from Jerusalem. And here's this entire army that's bearing down upon us. They might take our land. They might enslave us and take our sons and daughters away. We are the ones who are desperately afraid. And we need to overcome that fear. So the question then is, as we understand who we are in this story, The question becomes not so much what must I do when I am afraid, but rather the question is what is it that God gives to his people when they are afraid? It's not what must I do when I'm afraid, it's what God gives to those who are afraid. And what is it that God gives to them He does not give them an example. David was not just an example to his people where he said, okay, guys, do what I do. And he takes off his armor and he takes off uh, his his shield and he he doesn't have a sword and he runs out towards you. He goes, follow me, guys. He's not an example. What is David for his people? He is a champion. He is their benayim. He is their Savior. We don't need inspiration. We need salvation. We need hope. Real hope. And look at how David is victorious as the Benayim, the champion, the Savior, the Redeemer of his people. Look, David comes out, the armor doesn't fit, he, does, he throws his sword down, I love the very end of this account, it says, and David held no sword in his hand. He goes out with his shepherd's staff, with his shepherd's pa- uh, purse, with five smooth stones and a sling. David is victorious, how? Through and because of his weakness. Remember David? He was the the son. Hey, Jesse, bring out your sons. One of them's going to be king. They forgot about him. He was the baby. He was the runt of the family. 
Out, oh, he's out in the, he's tending the sheep. Oh, yeah, David, he was the laughed at one. He was the forgotten one. He was small. He was a weakling compared to Goliath. He was a runt. He was pathetic. And so how is he victorious? Because Goliath walks out there. His shield bearer is there. Goliath doesn't have his shield. Star Trek fans, you always go, shields up. Shields up. I'm looking at you. Goliath, shields were down. Why? Look at this pathetic weakling of a man. I've got this, he would say to himself. And it's through his weakness that David is victorious. Of course, who is this pointing us to? As we've been saying, the truer and greater David, David's son, yet David's Lord, the Son of God in Jesus Christ, who leaves his heavenly throne, he takes off his crown of glory, he lays down all of his omnipotent power, his omnipotent armor, he lays down his sword, he takes up his shepherd's staff, and through weakness, he brings power into our lives, through death, he brings life, through the shame of the cross, he brings glory, and David, David risked his life in the valley of the shadow. But the Son of God, Jesus Christ, God himself gave his life for you in the valley of the shadow of death. God did that for you. The ultimate Benayim, champion, the one who fights not for his people, but as his people. Jesus as the great representative who dies on your behalf and gives you his victory. That's what we need. Now as we wrap up, as we close, practically, how does this work? You know, I'd, I'd never seen this. I think this is really interesting. In 1 Samuel 18, if you do have your Bibles open, 1 Samuel 18, verse 6 and following, David is coming home with the army, and he's going back to Bethlehem and or Jerusalem. And it says in verse 6 that as they were coming home, when David returned from striking down the Philistine uh, Goliath, the women came out of all the cities of Israel singing and dancing with tambourines, with songs of joy and with musical instruments. And the women sang to one another as they celebrated, Saul has struck down his thousands and David his tens of thousands. Now come back next week because this really upsets Saul and we're going to talk a little bit about his jealousy. But what are these people and these women doing? The Philistines, you see, they're still a threat. They're still afraid. You know, courage isn't the absence of fear, is it? The fear is still there, but it's still living, and it's still moving forward despite that fear. That's what courage and overcoming fear is. How are these women overcoming their fear? They are singing. They're rejoicing. They're taking the truth that God had sent them, their Savior and their Redeemer and their champion in David, and they're celebrating that. Notice they're singing to one another, so they're encouraging one another with this, and they're taking that truth, that good news of David as their champion, and they're bringing it into their head and their heart, and they're singing it aloud so that their fears might grow smaller and the hope they have grows bigger and more, greater. And this is, again, as we close, 
This is exactly what the author of Hebrews, now jumping to the New Testament, he's writing, he's a pastor writing to the church, a church that's undergoing persecution. They're being killed and their, 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 their moms and dads are being taken away from their families, etc. Terrible, terrible times under the Roman Empire. And this is what the author of Hebrews says. He says, let us run with endurance the race that's set before us. How do we do that? How do we have that endurance? We're being persecuted. We're losing our loved ones. How can we keep going? Looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith. What does that mean? That Jesus is our bainayim. He is our champion. He's the one who does it for us. He's not an example to us who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured from sinners such hostility against himself so that you may not grow weary or faint-hearted. You want to give up? You're feeling so weary and faint-hearted. How do you keep from being weary and faint-hearted? It says, consider him. Consider Jesus. Bring him, his suffering and death for you. Three weeks ago, I had to get an MRI for my back. See if there's any arthritis going on there. No arthritis, so that's good. I had to have an MRI. It's a little tube. Some of you have had one. I am a wee bit claustrophobic. <laughs> and by wee bit, I mean a lot bit. I asked him, uh, you know, because they can give you medicine or whatever to kind of calm you down. I asked him, is this, uh, is this head first or feet first? You know, I think feet first, I can kind of, my head's kind of, I said, oh, no, it looked, oh, it's feet first. Great. Come back there the next evening. Lie down here, sir. Oh, it's head first, is it? And they, and they move me in head first, and it's clang, 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 all that stuff. For a long time, and I had my eyes closed, and what did I do? I said, Scott, you got this. You got this. You are an MRI warrior. Yeah. Bumped my head on the thing. I didn't do that. Nor did I go, Scott, you are a pastor of the Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod. Your faith is amazing. You, are, you got the God who's going to bless you, and it's about your... I didn't do that. And it's not, look, it's not the biggest fear in the world, but I was beginning to freak out. <laughs> Closed my eyes, and I considered him. See, Jesus being nailed to the cross, the blood coming from his side, the crown of thorns. Then I see an empty tomb and then I see Jesus alive and the marks in his hands and I see his face and I'm bringing this into my head and down into my heart and I remember the promises of Jesus. Yea, I am with you always to the end of the age. Jesus, the living Jesus is there. So my fear in that moment becomes smaller and my hope becomes bigger and he's got, he's got this. I don't have to have this. That's true for something as little as a little claustrophobia or 
when a diagnosis comes, the blood work comes in and the numbers are bad. That in Jesus Christ, his death and resurrection, you have a truth, a certainty that the worst thing can happen to you and still you or your family or your children are going to be okay because you have a champion who has gone between for you and nothing can hurt you. Even death that puts you into the ground, it's just a gardener because of the power of Jesus Christ his champion, his victory for you. To him be all the glory. Amen.